everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning. Um, We've started out the last few weeks, I I think it's so easy when it's far away to forget that there is hardship in the world. And places where the kingdom of heaven is certainly not. And we know that we're asking for that to be everywhere. But again, today, wanted to just give us a moment to consider the fact that there is a war that has global implications that's going on in Ukraine. I would love to invite you today uniquely um, to pray for Russia, to pray for their leadership, to pray for the soldiers, um, to pray for the country. One of the things that makes the gospel in Jesus so unique is that he says, pray for your enemies. Um, Pray for those who are struggling. Pray for those who are not on the same page as you. And so we also understand there are Christians there, there are churches there. Um, This is a hard time. And so let's take a moment now, pause and consider and pray for Ukraine, but especially today for Russia and their people. Let's take a moment. Jesus, I'm confounded as I read the paper and continue to see this story play out that is just so sad and it's so antithetical to life. We pray that your kingdom would come and that it would be here as it is in heaven. We pray today for um, anybody, especially folks who are in Russia who are perpetuating this violence. We pray for them, that they would know you, that they would know the goodness and the beauty and the truth of the gospel that they would celebrate life and that this war would end. You're in control of all things. We trust you whether things are good or bad. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, Before we get in too much into the message for today, just a couple other housekeeping issues that I wanted to share with you. One, um, last week uh, was a lot of fun in the service, and I had a couple people approach me afterwards and say, hey, we're talking about the Bible. This, the whole sermon was the celebration of the text itself. Where do I begin? Because every time I open the Bible, I get about three sentences in, and I, I, it just doesn't, I, I don't know what to do. So I wanted to share three things that I would say, if that's you, if you're like, I, want, I have a hunger for this, I just don't understand what's going on. There's three things that I would give you. The first is that the, the Bible, when it was written, Old Testament and New Testament, it was not necessarily written to be read but it was written to be heard, and it was written to be talked about. And so it it shouldn't just be an individual discipline, it should be something that's done in community. And here at at Discovery, we have something that we call life groups. And this is a group of folks who will meet once a week, every other week, and their whole goal is just to sit down with the text and and try and chat together about what's going on here and how does it apply to our lives. If that's something that you've been like, I should probably do that, I just haven't taken the time, I would encourage you, jump on our website, there is a link there. You can also find Brendan Reed out in the lobby and you can chat with him about where would be a good fit for you, but a life group would be one. And then if you're like, I need something for the commute or I need something that is just for my own time, that's just individual, there are two, I'm not a podcast person, 
Both of these things have made me a podcast person just for these two things, and they're really, really excellent. One is called the Bible Recap, and this is little chunks of scripture. Usually the podcasts are no more than eight minutes, and it's just these little shots that you get, and it's really excellently done. The other one is a little bit longer. The sessions are usually somewhere between 25 and 50 minutes, um, but it's called the Bema Discipleship Podcast, B-E-M-A. And if you dive into either one of those and start listening, make sure you start from the beginning. And as you go through, your understanding of the text and what you're reading will be so much richer. So there's one thing. The second thing, several weeks ago, we hosted something here called Floats and Finances. And I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that about, we have about a month and a half left as, as we as a staff and as an elder board are trying to figure out where are we at financially right now? COVID has been weird. And as we're coming out of it, we've got a lot of new faces here. We've got a lot of old faces here. Our, our expenses and our budget are above what our giving is right now. And as we're chatting with other churches across the front range, we're all in the same boat. And so for us, before we make any decisions based on what we currently have, we wanted to make sure that it was just known in the congregation, if you're new and have been coming for a while, but if giving is something that you haven't chosen to do yet, I would invite you. We could use your help just to figure out where are we. And if you've been coming for a while, and if you're at a place where you could increase your giving, we're trying to figure out where we are so that we know how to keep going as we move forward. And in all of that, I would just invite you, pray. Pray for us and pray for the church as it navigates this post-COVID time. And then finally, as we've been going through this Party On series, there, there may be several times where you've gone, man, it's great to talk about it and hear about it. I want to do it. Like, what does it look like to actually do one of these Jewish festivals? And you should know this entire series was actually planned around Easter because there's a very important Jewish festival that happens right before Easter. It's called Passover, and Passover is a meal that we share together. And this year, on Friday, Good Friday, April 15th, we're gonna be hosting here at the church a Passover Seder. Spots are gonna be limited, so you can't RSVP yet. I'm giving you a save the date right now. And then also, if you have kids, we're gonna be hosting the Thursday before, on April 14th, a matzah ball making party. And it'll kind of be their own experience. Kids are for sure welcome to the Seder dinner on Friday, but it'll be a more kid level. Here's what this celebration is and what we're doing here. Also, if you're hearing that and you're like, I want to be at the matzo ball, you can come. Anybody's welcome to that one. There's unlimited spots to make matzo balls. Um, so all that being said, I, I hope for you, if you've been coming and if you've been hearing about these Jewish festivals, these parties, I hope that there's been something in you that you don't just go, that's cool. I hope that there's something in you that you go, I want to know more because there is a richness and a robustness that helps me understand Jesus. It helps me understand the church today. It helps me understand myself, but it helps me understand the word in ways that I, I didn't know before. The depth, like the way that this integrates so many things in my faith, like I want to know more. And, and I hope today is one more of these times where you just walk out fist pumping going, I just love the Bible. And I love, I love reading it. I love hearing about it. I love connecting dots in it. It's so good. Today, we're talking about a Jewish festival that's called the Feast of the Trumpets. And I had a really funny encounter with some friends of mine this week, Avi and Eliana, if you're watching, this one's for you, but um, th these friends are Jewish, they're Messianic Jewish folks. And I said, yeah, we're talking about the Feast of the Trumpets. And they looked at me like, what? What is that? And I'm like, oh, I'm in deep trouble <laughs> if the Jewish folks don't know. 
And we talked about it a little bit more, and they, oh, you mean Rosh Hashanah. You're talking about Rosh Hashanah. We don't call it the Festival of the Trumpets. That's old. And I'm like, y'all, it's the Bible. It is old. And the more we got into it, um, there was a lot that I learned this week going in. If you're just going to ask a Jewish person, what do you celebrate on Rosh Hashanah? The immediate answer you're going to get is, well, it's New Year's. It's New Year's Day. That's, that's when we celebrate the beginning of a new year. If you dig a little bit deeper under the surface, one of the answers you're going to get is, well, it's Judgment Day, which if you're like, New Year's, Judgment, those are different kinds of parties. I'm wearing a different hat depending on which one it is. Like, it's just, they're not. So what is this party? What is this holiday? And I'm going to begin with a magic trick because in 30 minutes, I'm going to be able to accurately guess the favorite sound of 80% of this room. Yeah, are you ready for this? Would you like a teaser now of what it is? I'll just tell you what it is now, because most of you don't know that this is your favorite sound, but it is. Um, it's this, it comes out of this. You ready? Guys, this is really exciting. I just, this arrived at my house yesterday at five o'clock. I've been waiting for it for forever. If, you, um, if you've ever seen one of these before, yes, it's real. <laughs> this came from Israel. Uh, this is called a shofar. And any time in scripture that you see the word trumpet, this is what it's talking about. It's not talking about the brass instrument. It's talking about this. 80% of you in 30 minutes, this will be your favorite sound. Are you ready to hear it? You sure? Are you sure? <laughs> okay. Keep in mind I got this yesterday at five, okay? <laughs> this is your favorite sound. See, I told you. I told you. That is your favorite sound, and now I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> Um, actually, if you were to hear somebody who knew what they were doing with this, it would probably sound a little bit more like this. I took um, some online lessons <laughs> this week and how to play a shofar without a shofar, <laughs> which is a trip. There's four different kind of tones or notes that you play that all signify different things. Some of those are blasts that, that mean there's, we're, we're coronating a new king. Some of them are blasts that signify just uh, this, this sinful, I'm messed up, I'm so sorrowful. One of those is a blast like that. Like each, whether it's staccatos, three quick blasts, each one, there's, there's meaning behind every, it's not just some person just going for broke on a, on a ram horn. There's purpose and meaning behind each individual thing. And if you're to really dig all the way back into the scripture and go, what is Rosh Hashanah? Or what is the festival of trumpets? you're gonna find some really fun stuff. And that's what we're talking about today. If you wanna to turn now in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 23, 
Um, we're going to start in verse 23. And just as some background, don't forget, the reason why we're talking about these parties is we started off the year in Genesis, and in the middle, the most important, well, not I shouldn't say the most important highlight, a significant highlight right in the middle of Genesis 1 is God says, I put the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky so that you would know how to build a calendar so that you know when to party. But this is before Israel had been enslaved in Egypt. This is before Abraham and Noah. This is before they had any parties. So he's like the ultimate party planner, you know, like the person who starts planning their husband or wife's birthday like two years in advance. This is what he's like. For those of you that are that way and you've been made fun of for years, you just open up to Genesis 1 next time and be like, I am godly. I am doing it by the book. But he sets these holidays, these feasts, these festivals from the dawn of time. And I think what he's doing from the very beginning, he knows the story and he's going, if you're going to get this, if you're going to get me, and if you're going to understand yourself, you have to know these parties. I've been planning them for a really long time. It's important to me that you understand what they are and why they are and how I fit in and how you fit in. And there's this echo that I hope is a little bit primal for us, that it takes us all the way back to Adam and Eve in the beginning of all things. This, this is really important. What are these things? What is the festival of trumpets? What's Rosh Hashanah? What's it all about? Okay, if you are in Leviticus chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 23, and it's really, we're only going to read two verses today. It doesn't get a lot of airtime. It's going to talk a little bit after this about some other sacrifices that you make. But what is this holiday? It says this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of complete rest, a holy convocation commemorated with trumpet blasts. You shall not work at your occupations and you shall present the Lord's offering by fire. Okay, so it's a Sabbath day with music and we burn stuff. That, and that's about all, and now it's gonna say and burn this and burn this and burn this, but that's, that's all we get on the festival of trumpets. Why? I mean, it, stuff like that, if it's that important to God, if it showed up in Genesis 1, that's it? That's all you're going to give us? And I would suggest to you again that, that this is something where we go, well, what's here? Are there clues that, that are here? Are there things that the original readers and hearers would have said, oh, totally. I know exactly what you want us to celebrate on that day. Why, why a trumpet? He could have just said, have a Sabbath day, but it's more than a Sabbath. There's something different going on, and you're supposed to commemorate it with with a trumpet, why? What's the meaning of this if you're reading the scripture? What's up with the fire? Why, how can we offer, he's, he's really keen on this idea of smoke if you keep reading. There has to be fire involved. What are the original readers and hearers gonna be thinking when they have that kind of a visual metaphor going on? And then really, I mean, there is kind of a sense of, of I mean, can you imagine inviting all your friends or be like, hey, we're going to have a party, bring a musical instrument, we're going to just honk on them for a little bit, and then we're all going to go home. It'd be the weirdest party ever. Like, what, so why? Like, why, what's the point of the whole thing that's going on here? So, again, there's some initial things that you can know about a shofar. If you just do a quick search in Google, it's going to tell you 
we blow these when we commemorate a king in the nation of Israel. When, when we are putting a crown on the head of a new king, this is what we blow. When we're going to war, this is one of those instruments, if you know your Old Testament, Gideon, Jericho, there are so many places where they're busting out a horn or it says a trumpet. This is what it's talking about. So there's the sense of, if we're going to war, this is, this is gonna be blown and it has its own notes. This is also, not shockingly, this would be one of the ways that we're gonna call people together. If we wanna have a meeting, if we wanna assemble the entire nation, everybody gets these out and starts blowing them and we just know, head to city square. But are we just randomly having a day where we remember that there's been kings or that there's been wars or that we've hung out before? There's got to be a deeper meaning to this. And I think um, if you're a good student of the text, you jump in and you go, okay, where do trumpets show up in the story before Leviticus 23? And they're gonna show up in a handful of places, but one of them will stick out like a sore thumb if you're doing the work. And if you wanna jump there now, I'll save you the Google search. Exodus 19 is where you're gonna wanna head. You can turn there now. And not surprisingly, I think I've been wanting to say this for a couple weeks, we're going to start reading this, and you're going to be like, it's the same root story over and over and over. Yes, the story of the Exodus. It's the story of God's people, this nation of Israel that was enslaved for 400 years. And then God sends Moses to talk with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh won't let him go, and these plagues come, and finally Pharaoh just says, get out of my face. And they head into the wilderness through the Red Sea. They find themselves on the side of Mount Sinai. This is a story that is central. If you're going to understand God's heart, if you're gonna understand who you are, you have to know that story. I would suggest to you hanging out and letting that be the piece of scripture that you read for a month or two every single year will be incredibly instructive because there will be parts of not just the Old Testament like what we're doing today, but there will be significant parts of the New Testament that you will go, oh, this is all connected. It's all integrated. So much stuff happens out of this story. Exodus 19, chapter, uh, verses seven through 19 is what we're gonna read. If you don't have your Bible today, um, that's totally fine. I would just invite you, you can read it up on the screen. It may be more helpful for you to close your eyes and hear it. And again, remember what we're listening for is something about trumpets, something about smoke and fire and offering. And we're trying to figure out what happened on this day that we would wanna remember it. And it says this. So Moses came and he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all of these words that the Lord had commanded. The people all answered as one. And this is, the ten, like this is pre-Ten Commandments. This is just God saying, you're going to be my people. You're going to listen to my instruction. I'm gonna be the king. And it says this, everything that the Lord has spoken, this is their response, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is an important moment in human history because since Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve take this bite of the apple, there's this moment where God up until this point has said, I'm the king, I'm, I'm the leader of your life. Here's the rules that make life possible. Will you let me be the king? And in Genesis chapter three, they take the crown off his head and they go, no, actually we wanna choose what we wanna do. 
And these people who have been enslaved in Egypt for all this time have now become the direct recipients of how bad and messed up things become when human beings, like Egypt or Pharaoh, impose themselves on the world around them. When humans take the crown and they put it on their own heads, mass casualties, corruption, it's awful. And for the first time that we're aware of, this whole nation finally takes the crown and says, you're the rightful head. You be our leader. Everything you do, we, everything you have spoken, we will do. And it keeps going. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm gonna come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you and so trust you ever after. When Moses had told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them, wash them. Their sins are being washed away in this moment. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day because on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. Okay, man, we're getting close to Easter. Third day language should make you pop a little bit. That's a teaser. We're not even gonna get into that. Oh, it's so good. Third day, because on the third day the Lord will come down upon the Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. You shall set limits for the people all around the mountain. Okay, so picture like caution tape. We're gonna put caution tape all around the base of the mountain. You shall set limits for them saying, be careful not to go up the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Any who touch the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch them, but they shall be stoned or shot with arrows. Whether, whether animal or human being, they shall not live. It's like, it's so, it's so messed up. If you touch this thing, nobody can even touch you. In fact, the way we're gonna kill you is from a distance. <laughs> and there's a lot going on in that stuff, but I want you to see, like, God's saying, this is super important. Don't touch it for three days. Interesting. And then it says this. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, then they may go up the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people. He consecrated the people and they washed their clothes and he said to the people, prepare for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And on the morning, and sorry, I just, every time I read that, I'm like, that's weird. Why throw the ladies in there all of a sudden? And there's reasons, we don't have time for it. I would tell you it's not that big of a deal. Don't let it hang you up. Obviously, I'm still hung up on it. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning as well as a thick cloud on the mountain and a blast from a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln while the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. Whoa, whoa. I, I have goosebumps reading this. And if you really want to nerd out, how many times does it say trumpet? What's a huge number for Jewish people to let them know this means community? Wow, this story is a mind blower. This is incredible. So what are we celebrating? God says in Leviticus 23, have a day where you have trumpets and you burn some stuff at the end, moving on into Leviticus. We would read that and go, that's a weird party. And then when we read this story, we go, oh, okay. 
I, I can't imagine <laughs> hearing this for the first time if you were there being one of, like, it would probably be the, the Levites. They were like the priests and God saying, when the trumpet sounds, and they're like, so do we bring the trumpets? <laughs> Are you gonna bring, like, do you have a trumpet? And this is a critical, actually, piece of information because God explicitly says when you hear it. He does not say when you blow it, when you make it, on the third day, make sure you do this thing, bring your trumpets. God says, I have one. I have a voice. And when you hear it, it's time to come meet me. I just can't imagine, like, the faith. It was, this was such a weird moment. You're just, you haven't been allowed to touch this hill, this mountain, for three days because you're not supposed to, and you'll get rocks thrown at you. You're not supposed to touch ladies, and this is his own thing, still hung up on it. And, and, and there's just a, a trumpet that's going to sound. Okay. Can you remember, can you, can you even think of waking up on the third day and just being like, when, when is it going to happen? Who's blowing this trumpet? And I think if, if we're looking even deeper, there's not a sense that God actually blows a trumpet. The, the stronger sense is this is his voice. This is what God sounds like. It's this tone that when you hear it, there's a richness and reverberation and it doesn't just hit your ears, but it makes your bones shake. It's cool. What does God sound like? Somebody were to ask you this 15 minutes ago, I would have said, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know how you even begin to describe that. Leviticus 23 knows how you begin to describe that, and Exodus 19 knows how you begin to describe that. And I would even say, if, if this is true, we've got Adam and Eve, and every, every day, we, we find this on, day, on, on um, Genesis chapter three, when God would come walking in the garden, it says that they could hear him. Well, what did he sound like? Well, if there's a consistency, he sounds like this. He sounds like a trumpet blowing. It reverberates, not just in your ears, but in your body. Interesting. So, did you also catch in Exodus 19 the fire and the thunder and the smoke and the cloud? Why does God on this day, he spends, he spends very short amount of time in Leviticus 23 going, have trumpets, make sure there's smoky stuff. Why? Because he's going, don't forget that day. Don't forget the day that we really met. The day where I called out to you and after waiting, you came to me. Don't forget don't forget what I sound like. Don't forget what I look like. This is, there's a romance to this thing now that's starting to come up after just two verses in Leviticus. It's really incredible. And there's also this sense too with God, if I'm him, and this just shows how puny I am, if I'm him, I would say, hey, I'll be up on the mountain on the third day, come up, I'll shake hands, kiss babies, really excited to see ya but he's not a physical God, which, which you have to remember in this culture, in this context, all the other religions around them, I mean, choose the Egyptian pantheon, physical gods, physical bodies showing up in physical places. It, ba the Babylonians, physical gods, physical bodies, physical places. This God is saying, I'm gonna be in a cloud. You're gonna see me. It's, it's confounding that he says, You're gonna, I, I will, you will see me, I'll be in a cloud. I can't... <laughs> 
see you if you're in a cloud. He says, well, that's part of the point. But you're going to experience me. You, can't, you cannot see me directly because I'm not a thing. And if you, if you could experience me directly, you would die. So instead of choosing sight and instead of choosing touch as the way that he's going to meet these folks for the first time, he says, I'm going to choose one of the human senses that's a little bit more indirect. Because when you hear something, is it there? Absolutely. Is that, if you could choose a way to experience something new, would you choose sound? Not many would. But God says, I'm gonna meet you indirectly. You're going to have to, I mean, almost if you picture the visual of it, I'm gonna be on the side of you, but you cannot turn and look at me. You'll hear me. What do I sound like? A trumpet. I think it's on this day that he's saying, don't forget that you crowned me king when you celebrate this festival of the trumpets. Don't forget that you said everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You said that on that mount. Don't forget, it's not just trumpets and smoke. Don't forget what happened there. Don't forget that you gave me the crown back. And don't forget on that day, not just that you gave me the crown back, but consider, do I still wear the crown in your life? Who's leading this thing? Is this a Genesis 3 type of a day or an Exodus 19 type of a day? Year. Life. For me, I couldn't stop at just Exodus 19. It just, why would God, of all the sounds in the world, why would he choose the sound of a ram's horn trumpet? It really bothered me. It's, a, it's I mean, you can hear it. It's really cool. There's a lot of cool sounds out there, and I don't think we need modern instruments to play them, but why? Why why that particular instrument? (laughs) And again, this is where my conversation with Avi and Eliana kicks back in. Right away, they said, well, Abraham and Isaac. (laughs) And I was like, they don't play trumpets. (laughs) I've read that story a lot. There's no trumpet in that story. And they said, yes, there is. And Avi opens up his Old Testament. He's reading in Hebrew, it's amazing. And he reads through the whole story of the sacrifice of Isaac. And he gets done and there's no trumpet. He, and he just looks up at me and he smiles. He's like, see? Like, it did it. Let, me, let me read it for you. It's, it'll bother you too. Then I'll feel, more better. I'll feel more comfortable. Okay, Genesis chapter 22. We're going to catch a couple different things here. We're going to jump. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to jump to verse 7. And we'll finish it out that way. You tell me if you hear a trumpet in this dang story. Come on, man. There's no trumpet, Avi. It says this. After these things, God tested Abraham. He He said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I show you. Jump over to verse seven. So they're on this journey now. Isaac's got the wood on his back, doesn't know what's going on. He says this. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together, and when they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood in order. He bound his son, he tied him up, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
you don't even have to be a parent to understand the agony and the anguish and the intensity of this moment. Then Abraham reached out a hand and he took a knife to kill his son. But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. I can imagine that here I am. It's been like, oh, thank God. Here I am, he said, don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham looked up, and he saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it says to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Okay, Avi, cool. There is a ram. I will grant you this. There's no trumpets, bro. Why? 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 How come this story immediately you go, that's a trumpet story? And he looked at me like I was an idiot and he goes, Oh, you've never sacrificed a ram before. And I said, You are correct on this fact. And he said, Well, you have to know there, there's rules about how you do this. Um, and sorry, for those of you, th this is not an animal rights bonus point that I'm about to earn right now, but the way they would do it is you have to cut, I believe it's 70% of the neck, like it's a rule. You have to get at least that much. That's how you kill the animal to begin with. But if you've got an animal that has horns and you're in there trying to do that, these, these suckers are sharp and one turn to the side, that's what they're for, right? Like, they're, they're to make sure that they don't get killed by stuff. So if you're coming at this thing with a knife, and you've got something this long, this is from a ram, like from a sheep. It's this high off the ground. That's a big knife for something growing on the side of a head of something that small. You get that up close and personal to this thing, it takes one whack to the side, you're having a bad, you now have become the sacrifice. No bueno. So he said, so it's obvious in this story, and it's obvious anybody who's ever sacrificed anything with horns, you cannot keep the horns on it. You have to take these off first. So now I'm recontextualizing the story going, okay, we've got a very relieved Abraham. He's looking over at this ram. This is now the sacrifice that takes the place of his boy. To do it, he has to cut the horns off first and then he can sacrifice this animal in his son's place. Incredible story. And there's a midrash. Midrash is, is a, a term, it's kind of like the apocrypha. For those of you that are familiar, the Catholic Church has something that they call the apocrypha. It's this extra collection of stories that we don't find in the Bible Bible. The Jews have something called the midrash, and they're a collection of stories that just explain some things further, and some of them are funny and quirky, maybe made up. Some of them are incredibly instructive and helpful. There's a Midrash story about how Abraham is so elated after he's completed this, he's, he's just stepping back for a moment from the whole story that he looks on the ground and he sees a horn and he picks it up and he blows it. And, and I think to, to try and make sure that you're not missing it, we have a dad whose son has been spared because we have another dad who's offered the sacrifice in his place. I mean, we're getting up to Easter. Let the gravity of that story hit you. And I don't think it was in that moment that God said, well, that's when I chose this to be my sound. I think always 
I mean, we have to remember since Genesis 1, this has been the story that God has been speaking over the world. He's been telling them about this Feast of Trumpets. He's been telling them about Fastover, Passover. He's been telling them all of these festivals since the beginning. What else has been, he been planning since the beginning? Maybe it would be that the story of he would send a sacrifice to save people. Maybe it would be the story of his own son that he would send, a sacrifice for our behalf. And maybe in that story he would say, the only thing, if that's the ultimate best story that I have to share, the only sound then that makes sense is the sound of this thing. So what does God's voice sound like? I think it sounds like a dad. I think it sounds like a parent who is saying, I'm willing to give up something that I love. I'm willing to self-sacrifice because I love you. That's what that sounds like. And I think if you really want to put a cherry on top, oh, you guys, anytime you see a trumpet in scripture, it should remind you of this. Revelation chapter one. You can turn there now. And if you have your Bible, turn there because you're going to want to see this with your own eyes. Chapter one. I'm going to read this from the screen. It says this, and this is paraphrased from these eight, nine verses. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And when I turned to see whose voice it was, I saw one like the son of man. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his face was like the sun shining with full force. And he said, I was dead. And see, I am alive forever and ever. Genesis 1 tells us this story. He's put the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky so that we would know. But I don't just think it so that we would know that he'd been planning Leviticus 23. I think it's the whole story. He's saying, I've known since the beginning. I think I, I skipped this slide, but if you were to see what a ram would look like with his horns caught in some branches, can we jump back to that one, you guys? It's this picture in the middle. Something caught on a tree, offered as a sacrifice in its place. It looks an awful lot like another picture. Let's go to that next one that has a picture on it. What do we hear when we hear a shofar? That's what we hear. I'm gonna bring out the band as we begin to land the plane on this thing. Because I think there's one final thing that we have to keep in mind when we're reading the story. In Leviticus 23, God was really explicit. We're supposed to bring our own shofars for this one. Did you catch it just then? Did you catch where the S lands in the sentence? We're supposed to bring our shofars. It's as if the God of the universe is saying, look, I have a voice. My voice is a voice that screams. It pronounces that I am a king. My voice is one that declares war. My voice is one that calls together an assembly but the way that I am king, the way that I go to war, the way that I call us together, undergirding it all since the dawn of time has been a story that I've been singing over you and it's a story of self-sacrifice. To put yourself last. 
And that in the places where I have provided the ram for you, kiddo, you are now invited to call back to me with your own shofar to let your voice resonate and echo my own. Do you live in the world in such a way where your voice echoes that of your Father in heaven? Would your friends, if asked five words that describe you, would self-sacrifice or something like it be one of the words that they would say? What does it look like for the rest of today or for the rest of this week to consider where are the places where I can echo that God into the world around because it needs it so desperately? It's the festival of trumpets. It's as if he's saying, everybody grab one. If you want to know who you are, if you want to be reminded of who I am, I'm the king that's calling the assembly. We're going to war. And if we're going to war, you're going to need to remember how to sacrifice yourself. Sacrifice your desires, your wants, so that the world can know what I've been planning for forever. So I played for you at the beginning. I played, unfortunately. Then we played a sound of one shofar. I would love to play for you the sound of several shofars. This will be loud. So if you, have, if you struggle with your hearing, if you um, have or are sitting near somebody who is autistic or who struggles with audible things, I would, I would ask you, begin with your ears covered. If you're like, my ears are normal, is that okay? You're gonna be fine, I'm not gonna make you bleed. <laughs> but this is what many shofars would sound like. church sound like? That's what it sounds like. We're going to play a song for you um, as we wrap up, and I would invite you, just, you can remain seated and receive this one, because when we stand and sing, um, might be partway through this one, it might be the beginning of the next one, I want you to stand just picturing for you and looking around and seeing a group of people we might not have ram's horns in our hands, but the voices in our lungs, we stand and we sound like that to heaven. It's important that it's not just this individual experience that you come and you sing in this place, but more than that, I want you to consider as you leave this place, what does the church look and sound like? And how can you, as somebody who stands in this building and sings these songs, this day or this week, walk out and be somebody who continues to make sounds like that. Sounds that say, I'll go second. I'll go last. I'll pray for and love my enemies. What does that look like for you? Consider those things as we sing.